Hey, welcome back to another Off the Circle. This is Douglas Carr, and we have in the studio today, we have Jeffrey Tun. Jeffrey is an IT leader and author of Amplify Your Value, uh, a book about leading IT with strategic vision. based entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before hey welcome back everybody to another off the circle uh we have uh to my left the famous uh infamous famous Either one. Either one. <laughs> Frank Leonard is with us uh, in the studio today, and uh, sitting across from me is Jeffrey Tun. Uh, Jeffrey is the author of Amplify Your Value. Uh, it's a book about leading IT with strategic vision that we're going to be talking about today, and uh, and also a longtime IT leader here in uh, Indiana. And I find uh, an actual not a transplanted Hoosier. You're, That's true. You're That's true. you're a I don't know what what do you call an actual Hoosier like someone born and raised in in Indiana. I don't know what you call that. Lifelong. I don't know. Lifelong. Yeah, because we're all. I think eventually, once you get here, you, you wind up becoming a Hoosier, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand. Yeah, Twenty four hours, you become a Hoosier. <laughs> <laughs> I love the accent there. That was good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, Jeffrey. How did you one? How did you get started? And then how did you uh, how did you get into IT? Oh, absolutely. So uh, as we said, I, I'm a lifelong Hoosier. Uh, moved around the state a little bit as a kid, but settled in Indianapolis in in '79, and uh, really fell in love with computers. Believe it or not, through a Commodore 64. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I went to college to major in music of all things, and ended up uh, ended up in a career in IT. And it was really that Commodore 64. The you know you had that machine that you could control. Yeah. And you could write these uh, write software programs. I remember writing a, a game for my kid. Uh, that my my oldest son it was a uh, Dukes of Hazard math game, uh, you know, and when you got it right, they'd go yeehaw and ride across in the uh, in the General Lee. But man, that really is what got me excited. And uh, I was working at Indiana National Bank at the time. Now it's Regions, and worked my way from working in the credit card department to end user reporting into the software uh, side of the business and ended up uh, writing software for the credit card system that I'd just been a user for a couple of years before wow. uh, and, and have been in IT ever since. So 35 years in IT, 30 plus, 35 plus years, uh, all different sizes of companies and uh, all different industries. So it's been an exciting run. That's that's absolutely incredible. Well, Jeff, your experience working in the credit card industry has probably taught you a little bit about the importance of security and PCI compliance. Can you elaborate on how important that is in your current role? Oh, abs absolutely. So uh, currently I work for uh, InterVision. Um, they recently acquired Blue Lock. So those of you in Indy might know the Blue Lock name. And obviously we're, we're being entrusted every day with people's uh, production data in our IaaS cloud or their DR data in our disaster recovery product. And so security is top of mind each and every day. Uh, whether we're helping uh, clients become PCI compliant or, 
or ITAR compliant, whatever uh, compliance regulations that they have to meet, we then work with them to meet those requirements as well for them. Uh, so it's something we deal with every single day. And so, and so we don't uh, lose half our audience here. The PCI compliance is obviously the regulatory, you know, arm of the. You know, I, I I'm not even sure who the uh, who the organization is that that demands PCI compliance. Uh, uh, payment card industry. Okay. It's a conglomeration of Mastercard, Visa, American okay. Express. All those folks have, have pulled together to create the. The data security standards. Yeah, and so it, it, any any time you use your credit card out there um, on the web uh, or even you know at a machine, there's got to be a, a layers of security behind it, uh, layers of logging, security, uh, you know, compliance on how you're keeping the data safe, how you're getting what checked by third parties to make right. sure that it's safe, all of those pieces, and so that every transaction, you know, can at least be logged and and secure. Yeah, absolutely, and it depends on how large of a of a merchant you are, how what's yeah. your transaction volume. Uh, but uh, I was CIO for Goodwill, and Goodwill has a huge retail arm, right? Uh, and so we we were required to follow two hundred and twenty some odd different controls uh, to meet the PCI data security standards. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. What and and I'm I'm curious to hear. Look in the news recently it was British Airways most mm-hmm. most recently that got hacked and and uh, I think all of the credit card all of the people that saved credit card data within their profiles that that data went out. Was that a viol? Did they violate PCI compliance by having maybe unencrypted data? You know, or I mean, it's possible. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't read the details of the story, but one one of the things that that they they teach you or you, or you learn very very quickly, any compliance guideline is point in time. The minute that you're certified, something has changed in your environment. Got it. So it's a constant uh, state of being aware of what's going on. Uh, so is. Compliance is one thing. Being secure is quite another. Uh, so it's a constant vigilance. And normally what we find is that there's some control that may not have been followed uh, to a T. Yeah. And that's what that's what caused it. Uh, you look at somebody like the, the Target hack a few years ago. Uh, that was a, a heating and cooling vendor whose credentials got compromised. And the heating and cooling business automation system our building automation system had network access to the point of sale. Oh, well, it never should have, but it did. Yeah. And that's how they were able to traverse the network. So you, it, it's incredible to try to keep up with what the attacks are going to be. Yeah. Um, what, what we try to talk about um, with InterVision and BlueLock is we, we like to talk about a two-prong approach. Uh, and that is you need protection. Uh, you have to make sure that your systems are secure. You have to be compliant. But it's not a matter of, of if you're going to get hacked, it's when. Yeah. And so how do you recover from that? And that's really where the Blue Lock DRAS comes in, disaster recovery as a service, is how do you recover once it's happened? Uh, and uh, we believe that uh, DRAS is a great way to do that because it's fast. Uh, you do it on cloud infrastructure, so you don't have to worry about a second data center. It's got a lot of advantages. So it's that two-prong approach with detection in the middle because you have to know that you've been hacked. And as a leader in this industry, um, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, maybe 20, 20 years ago, because I'm old, uh, 
But 20 years ago, people always wanted to do this internal, right? Mm -hmm. They always wanted to grow their staff and, you know, everything else. But what companies don't realize now is that it's a really good investment to find an expert, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm not sure how many clients that you guys deal with. I'm guessing hundreds of, you know, so you're... Your knowledge is you get to hyper focus on disaster recovery, nothing right. else. Right. And and so the investment for a company is a really good one nowadays to stop trying to grow your internal staff and try to keep them up to date, but actually outsource it to you know experts somebody else. that are on it every single day. Uh, we I, I like to talk about you know a typical client before they come to us might test disaster recovery once a year. We test disaster recovery every single day, multiple times a day for a variety of people. We've gotten really good at it. One of the strategies, and I even talk about this in the book. You like how I got that plug back? Get the book book. in there. Absolutely. What's the Uh, name of the book, Jeff? uh, Amplify Your Value. Um, But I I talk about, um, I tell the story in there about, uh, I was at a conference one time and I heard this speaker. And he, he said to the group, you know, there's only two types of IT projects in the world. There's AC projects and CF projects. And we've all been a part of CF projects. And the room kind of laughs because we've all been a part of those cluster projects. Yeah. And, and he says, no, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's a grading scale. There's some projects that you can do and you could hit a grand slam, walk off the field home run to win the game. And the best grade the business is ever going to give you is a C. Email is one of those. No one ever walks into the CIO's office and says, thank you very much for delivering my email today. (laughs) But if it's down, the line runs out the hall and all all the way down the hallway, right? Right. And, And the concept was we all, as IT leaders, we all have these CF projects. Why are you having your team do those? Right. Find somebody else to do those, whether it's whether it's cloud-based email like uh, uh, Office 365 or Google, or whether it's disaster recovery as a service in the cloud with with a Blue Lock or someone else. Outsource that. Cloud is really just another way to outsource, but it lets you forget all about that so that your team can focus on the A to C projects, the ones that you're really going to add value to the company. And when you hit a home run there, you're the hero. That's, uh, and, and so that's really the way we modeled uh, the the IT department at Goodwill was we looked at our project portfolio and said, these are CF projects. What can we do to get rid of them? Yeah. We want to focus on the A to C. Yeah. Wanna, and, and Jeff, uh, it seems like you mentioned that sometimes it takes a while for an organization to realize they've been hacked. Right. And I just wonder if you touch on that in the book at all, or maybe the strategic value around giving enough attention to cybersecurity so that people can avoid those pitfalls and find out four months later they were hacked and they lost all this data. Well, I, I don't really touch on that specifically in, in the book. There's pieces of security that are talked about in the book. Uh, the book itself is more... Um, uh, a, a leadership uh, tome, a leadership book uh, to talk about how do you lead with strategic vision. It doesn't get into the, the weeds of any one specific discipline, but to, to address your question, uh, I, f- I forget what the latest statistic is, but it's something like uh, uh, when a compromise is found, it's been in the systems for 145, 146 days wow. before it gets discovered. And so what you're starting to see is the emergence of this uh, threat hunt or threat detection uh, software and services where they're actually digging into your systems and looking for 
the anomalies before you lose the data. Uh, part of and, and there's so many different attacks and so many reasons why they're in there. There was a we we focus a lot on law firms, uh, and uh, there was a case uh, last year or the year before. Uh, of a law firm that had an attack, and that attack was in their systems active for about 145 some odd days, but they weren't really stealing the data, they were just reading it. This was an M&A firm, merger and acquisition firm, and what they were doing was reading the data and then playing the stock market. Oh my and they ended up making uh, several million dollars because they knew it was kind of insider trading from a hack perspective. Wow. Uh, so they weren't trying to steal the data. They were just trying to read it. Yeah. Right. So you never know. And so you really have to be vigilant to focus on that every day. You can spend millions on preventative and some, and what keeps a CIO up at night is you spend all that money on preventative security and you're one mouse click away yeah. from being infiltrated, right? Somebody gets an email and they click on the wrong thing and boom, you've got ransomware. So you've not only had to invest in preventative, but as I was saying earlier, the restorative side, and now you really have to spend some time on detection and looking at your data and trying to understand it. What you're starting to see is behavioral sciences and AI applied to security. So Frank, if you come in every day uh, for your job and you access system A, B, and C, and one day you access system Z, we should know about that. Yeah, it's going to raise. It's a, a change in behavior, and I should know that you've you, you've accessed the system. Maybe perfectly legit, but I ought to be looking at it. Yeah. So it's more behavioral at that point. So looking for those anomalies that, exactly. that are happening. Well, and it, it's a good point. I want to take this back because it's it's a really good point that you made because um, you know even on a small scale from a marketing standpoint, we work with with all these people with websites, and it's the same thing that we see is that. You know, um, let's say uh, WordPress, 60 million, you know, installs worldwide, I think, or something like that. And they'll have a security, you know, update that people won't patch. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, is hackers aren't aren't going after it immediately. They're ramping up, right? right. The news spreads, you know, on all these gray sites and black mm -hmm. sites and everything else. And then it ramps up and then they release malware that, you know, goes after it and everything else. So to yeah. your point, if they just had someone that was keeping up, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. half the battle yeah. Is, yeah. is just, you know, I'm guessing the other side is, you know, getting targeted is a, is the other side of it. You know, exactly. that people want your, like the law firm, you know, they wanted their information. And so they were looking. So they're for looking for the weak link in yeah. the chain. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're infamous for patch Tuesday, right? That yeah. Microsoft kind of started that years ago. The patches come out on Tuesday. Well now in, in the dark web, it's hack Wednesday. Yeah. Cause <laughs> Microsoft just told you where all the vulnerabilities are, and they know no one is patched. And so you, you get this focus on that. Uh, the other thing that's, that's really kind of scary is malware as a service. You can go out and you can hire somebody to, to attack somebody else. Yeah, uh, They're doing it for, for money to do that. Uh, it's uh, it's point-and-click software to build ransomware. Ugh. It's just amazing the yeah. technology that's going into trying to attack people. And let's let's talk about from a large scale of this because I, I think it's um, 
for people listening, uh, I mean, Frank knows, but I do the Dell podcast uh, called Luminaries. And so one of the things that they've discovered, you know, over time with the IT industry that's probably different from every other industry is there's actually a return on investment nowadays. <laughs> you know, that it used to be that you had to, you know, maybe you had a, a $2 million infrastructure project that you wouldn't recoup the costs on for five years or so, right? right. But nowadays, you don't spend $2 million. You get, you know, service industry people, you lease, you know, equipment, you work with partners like a Blue Lock or whatever who have made that huge investment so right. that you don't have to. But we're actually at a point, you know, it's got to be fascinating from your seat in IT to see that, you know, once upon a time it was buy all the steel and hardware and everything else you know, uh, build your own data center to host it in, uh, train your own staff on how to maintain and everything else. Whereas now you can be a, you can be a technology company and not, not even have an IT team practically. Yeah. Right? Not even have a server. Right? Yeah. 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 It, what, what's amazing to me, and I, I tell people all the time, I, I think, uh, I mentioned earlier, I've been in IT for 35 years. I think now is the most exciting time to be a part of IT because things are changing so fast. And, and you're right, there is a return, Yeah. right? You're looking at in the buzzwords today of digital transformation, digital disruption, sure. but they're more than buzzwords. Right. Companies are doing it. Uh, one well, of the if most, and if they're not doing it, they're, they're falling behind. They're falling behind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. think try to think of an industry that isn't being disrupted by technology. I mean, somebody like agriculture, right? And uh, uh, the new IoT lab up in Fishers, one of the things they're focusing on is ag tech. Yeah. They're doing some amazing things with precision agriculture, the ability to put the right amount of water, the right amount of fertilizer, the right amount of pesticide in the square foot right. on a field. It's just amazing technology. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's changing so fast uh, that uh, it, it, it's hard to keep up with. Companies can't certainly can't keep up with it. That's where you need partners to help you with that. Um, shoot, we need partners to help keep up I with, think, I with think those that, things. That's a solid point to make as well. You know, that it's now, um, you know, and you're obviously, you just said it, but you have IT companies, actual hardware companies, that are pushing you guys to innovate and then you're pushing your clients to innovate, you know? Exactly. And so that's totally backwards from where it used to, it be, used to be, right? Exactly. You know, it used yeah. to be the demands of, you know, the demands of the client rose up, you know, and eventually made it back to the IT, you know, provider. But now it's rolling downwards that, you know, you have to have a great partner in this industry. Otherwise you're not going to survive. You're not going to know what the competition is doing and you're, you know, you can fall behind in a, you know, in a, in a year, right? I mean, look at, you know, transformation. You just talked about ag, which I think is a fascinating one, you know, that they're, they're literally growing, you know, farms in buildings now with no sunlight and everything right, else, right. tweaking the LEDs to, you know, grow them. But, you know, Uber with taxis, Amazon with retail, you know, everything is technology and, and, and it's, uh, we saw in the newspaper industry, obviously, when online, you know, just consumed right. the newspaper industry. And we watched it happen. You know, we, we had 40% profit margins. And, uh -huh. and, and, we didn't, it and we didn't reinvest anything into digital. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then everybody in the newspaper industry cries that they were... <laughs> they know, were disrupted. That they yeah, were disrupted. Yeah, yeah. But this is the, 
maybe the the call to action with this podcast is, you know, if if you're not taking care of it today, your company is at great risk yeah. security-wise, innovation-wise, you know, uh, you know, everything. Yeah, I actually thought it was interesting uh, the state could be left behind as well, and I was very encouraged to see Governor Holcomb announced uh, his infrastructure agenda for 2019 where they were putting a billion dollars in infrastructure investments and projects. And I know a lot of that's earmarked for the wireless and the networking side of it, which particularly affects the rural communities. I know you talked about agriculture, but maybe you could comment on that briefly, Jeff, just about the importance of the connectivity and the 5G. Well, yeah. absolutely, because all of these things have to talk to each other, right? So whether it's the, the tractor in the field uh, communicating back, whether it's uh, weather data that the farmer is using to, to manage uh, their fields, all of that data has to flow. Uh, and so the fact that Indiana, Indianapolis is targeted for 5G from both uh, AT&T and Verizon is tremendous. It says a lot about what we're doing here as a tech community. But getting that further out into the rural areas is vitally important. Uh, you know, a million years ago, Frank, when you and I met, one of the first people you introduced me to uh, dealt with the rural communities, right? Because I was trying to build a business at that time and you made the introduction. Uh, and it was all about bringing technology, bringing what we're trying to do in the urban settings into the rural settings, uh, whether it's hospitals, uh, as that was the case, uh, or whether it's agriculture, that connectivity and, and bringing that technology is vitally important for those communities. Yeah, I believe that was Dina Dodd yes. that still works with the Indiana Rural Health Association. And I, you know, shout out to Dina for her leadership role and what she's trying to do for those rural communities because a lot of times it's hard to get good people to, you know, work in those environments. And the more we can get the internet and the connectivity up to speed, the better those people will see the quality of life. Well, when I, I, I think, you know, maybe we want to drill down on this one because this is a really good topic you know i think people are vastly underestimating that iot devices you know whether it's a you know i have a near field communication business card now right you know it costs 50 cents a piece that's cheap right to mm -hmm. to put something in that's recognizable by another device you know then we have you know bluetooth devices and then now wi-fi devices cellular the big band the big bottleneck was bandwidth most of the time right? right you couldn't put a thousand you couldn't put a thousand monitors on your farm with your remote with your dial <laughs> yeah with your phone line, yeah right? but yeah, yeah. and so i think people are vastly underestimating what 5g is going to do to this industry i i talked to you know one of my clients uh i'll, I'll make mention of them uh they're roofing and siding right you would never think well how could how could this impact them well the big thing in roofing and siding industry is hailstorms. Yeah. So what if they had a cellular detector that was on top of people's roofs that what they paid a couple bucks a year. Right. right. <laughs> and it tells them when the damage and is. it tells them yeah. when there's damage. And now the person in the house doesn't have to call anybody. You know, they, yeah. they get called by the company, my, my heating and air conditioning system. That's brand new. Um, the the home sense put it in it in town great guys and they get the call the same time i do if there's anything wrong with the system right now i'm not going to go to online and look for uh hvac repairman yeah. and so i i think this this 5g thing really gets me excited oh, because 
I just look at it that, wow, you can have unlimited devices. You know, the bandwidth is fiber, you know, practically fiber, you know, ready, you know, and, and, uh, and there's no, there's no limitations anymore. Right? I, I, I took a, I took a course a couple of years ago from MIT. I like to throw that in there cause it makes me feel smarter. <laughs> right. But, but it was, uh, it was, uh, by Dr. Thomas Malone and it was the intelligent organization and the future of work. Uh, and he kind of equates businesses to civilizations and how you, you know, you start out with kingdoms and then you went to countries and, and, and things like that. But businesses have been the same way. They've all been hierarchical because of communication. It was the only way to communicate your message was hierarchically. Now they're becoming more distributed. And one of his theories is because of the lowering cost of bandwidth, as yeah. you were saying about 5G. It enables you to have a distributed company, a distributed organization, distributed decision-making because everybody's getting the information they need to make decisions, changes the whole fabric of the way companies are built anymore. Well, and, and AI and machine learning is now giving us good decisions, right? I, I joke in the marketing industry, um, marketers make terrible decisions every single day through no fault of their own. It's through bias or through, you know, through uh, maybe it's the speaker that they, you know, saw last or the book that they read last. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things basically have a bias on them. Meanwhile, you know, within the business for marketing, there's a thousand different data points that are coming in physically for a human to, to take that and disseminate that information is impossible. The exciting thing for me is that as a marketer, now all of a sudden I can be told, hey, here's where the problem is. Harness your creativity and go solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And now my job doesn't have to be moving data back and forth and reading reports. My job can be Doing go, your job. go be creative. Mm -hmm. And right. I think in the IT industry, that's what that promise is, right? Is now all of a sudden the CIO at a company can focus on their customers. Right. While you guys focus on disaster recovery yeah. and, and security and everything else. And so, and that's going to what, that's going to be what builds your business. And I think the, the key thing about what you said there was focus on the customers. And, and I think a lot of times in IT, we view... Uh, the other people in our business as our customers, and they're not. Your customers are your company's customers, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's who you need to be focusing on. And that's really the promise of digital transformation uh, is that you're you're digitizing the customer experience. And so for the CIO to spend time thinking about that, how can I make the interactions with our end customer uh, smoother? How can I provide more value to them, make our relationship stickier with the end customer? Uh, that's what the, the CIO needs to be thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jeff, I know earlier you talked about the importance of sharing information across the hierarchies. Um, can you comment on some of the organizations you're involved with and disseminating best practices among IT leaders here in Indiana? I think what you've been doing has been terrific. Uh, so uh, you're probably referring to uh, most predominantly the Indie CIO network. Uh, this is a group now, gosh, believe it or not, we're over 250 people on our mailing list. Wow. It started with five CIOs having lunch eight years ago. Uh, and uh, somebody said, well, this was really uh, fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. We should do it again next month. I stupidly raised my hand and said, 
<laughs> I'll set it up. And I've been setting it up now for eight years. But in all seriousness, it's grown organically from that very humble beginning of five people to, to like I say, over 250 CIOs, senior IT leaders. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, we had to put in the Jeff Tun rule. The Jeff Tun rule is if you're a vendor and you used to be a CIO, you still can be in the group because yeah. I had to be able to stay in my own group, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but this, this group meets uh, once a month for lunch, very similar to the way we started. Typically, we have 30 to 35 people in the room, and it's an amazing experience. It's, it's dialogue around a single topic. Um, for example, we sit down, we order lunch, and I say, today's topic is social media. Do you allow its use inside your company or not? That's the entire program. Yeah. It goes from there. Uh, and people will talk about the experience that they have in their company. Sometimes, you know, we'll go rabbit hole chasing a little bit. Um, but um, most of the time it stays on topic. It's great conversation. You get this perspective from all different industries, all different sizes of organizations. We, we have CIOs that, that lead a thousand member IT teams. And we have CIOs or, or senior directors of IT that have three people, Yeah. right? So you, you get this interesting cross-section in this discussion. And what's, the other thing that's, that's grown out of this, uh, Frank, is this, uh, this network of, of people that are, we're now sharing resumes, we're sharing job openings. There's several folks in the group that found their next gig by a relationship in, in that group. Uh, we started three or four years ago. Uh, I kept getting asked by vendors, hey, can we sponsor your lunch? Can we sponsor your lunch? And my answer was always, no, that would ruin the dynamic. It, it's, it's not that kind of group. Uh, and after about the 450th time that somebody asked me that, I said, but if you want to buy us drinks and dinner, we'll be there. <laughs> there you go. Right? So we started yeah. these dinner sessions, and now we meet once a month for dinner in addition to once a month for lunch. And we still have 30 or 40 or 50 people that attend these things. Um, and it's a way for the CIOs and senior IT leaders to learn from each other, but also learn from vendors who are experts in a particular field. Um, you know, uh, Bell Tech Logics did a great uh, presentation uh, back uh, April or May. I think it was the first part of May. Um, and it was on data analytics. Well, okay, everybody does something on data analytics. But this, the twist was it was data analytics on your IT services, oh, interesting. right? Because that's yeah. one of the things Bell is known for is, is IT service management and bringing that discipline. So why not analyze your own IT systems, right? Yeah. Uh, and it didn't hurt that they had Pippa Mann there talking about data analytics in a race car. Yeah. That made it kind of exciting <laughs> as well. But it was really just kind of an interesting twist on, on uh, a, a pretty typical topic. Where, where do people go for information on that? Um, well, we don't have a website because okay. we don't charge membership. Yep. Um, it's, uh, uh, so the best way is to send me an email. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, we are on LinkedIn, but we're probably a little bit hard to find. So if someone's interested in that, uh, jeff at ndc.io. Uh, is the best way to get a hold of me, Perfect. and then I can give you more information about the group uh, via email. Okay. Uh, we opted uh, not to go through the process of membership fees and yeah. things like that, uh, just to make it loose and informal, and I think that's kind of what makes it work. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad you commented on social media. I'm sure that's a big, important topic for a lot of folks, and I, I myself personally use LinkedIn quite a bit. So. You do. You do. You're I, the master. I do enjoy LinkedIn. <laughs> and let me give one plug for a little article I, I uh, wrote on that recently, and that was for a, 
an organization called the Zionsville Century Club. Oh, right. You talk about the ability to get out there and network and meet other individuals. And this, this one's not focused on IT, but this is a great organization where 100 men come together once a quarter and donate $100 to a nonprofit. And it's a great organization to think about getting involved with because it really gives back to the community without any overhead. And so uh, and it's actually led to some great networking opportunities for me as well. So anyway, you can find out about them at zionsvillecenturyclub.com if you'd like to learn more. And we'll put that, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Wow. And, and I know, Frank, when you posted that the other day, it was, uh, I think, the same day that you and I had lunch. Um, and so I was able to reshare that and, and just watch the conversation that took place uh, between a lot of different people that were posting on that. And, and I really like to stress uh, to the CIO, the IT leader, uh, don't be afraid of social media. Oh my gosh, there there's so many different uh, lists that you can follow. I, I follow uh, uh, one group, it's called the 100 Most Social CIOs or something uh, yeah. like that. Um, and what a great way to understand what all these CIOs are thinking about because what articles are they sharing? What are they talking about? Uh, so whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, is huge. Instagram. Don't, don't be afraid to embrace that. I agree. Cause you can learn so much from it. I, I agree. The, the return on those tools is absolutely incredible because yeah. there's so many people out there willing to share everything. You yeah. know, I always tell people that with, you know, I, I share everything that I, I, find out about and people you know uh, there used to be that old adage you know they don't share it you know sell that information well most of the people that want that information aren't going to buy it from me anyways yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so and the people that are the people that look at something that i share and they go wow that's really complex let me give doug a call that's who i'm interested in right. you know right. i'm not and yeah, so, yeah. I, I was watching cnbc the other day and they were talking about what's the biggest brand out there you know, this financial news network. And they said, you know, if you go to a soccer game where you got 40,000 people there, they've all got their phones in their hand and they're all posting on Instagram. Right. So, you know, I'd like to give Doug a shout out because he was one of my early mentors with social media. And I just think, Doug, you ought to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, how you help with social media. We should have that guy Doug on the show sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I hear he's really good. <laughs> Well, no, I, I mean that that's that's what I saw was I saw the 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 huge opportunity that I saw in social media and the internet as a whole, but was all of a sudden you didn't have to pay ABC or CBS or NBC these or the newspaper these exorbitant, you know, mm -hmm. advertising dollars to actually reach your audience. Now all of a sudden, you know, you could start building an audience of people that listen to you and then actually start cultivating a community that promoted you. You know, and that's, I always tell people that it's not easy. You know, my business now is coming up on, uh, let's see, next April will be 11 years. So just 10 year, 10 and a half years now. And I always tell people that I started my blog, you know, three years before that, you know, it took three years for me to build a reputation and trust mm -hmm. and authority enough for people to start listening to me and starting to talk to me and then actually starting to want to buy my, you know, buy my services. And so I, today I think that dream is still alive and well, I, 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 I took, uh, I talked about the roofing and siding folks before Amos exteriors. I have never taken a local hyper local client like that, but I, it was, it was risky. You know, I, I talked to Chris Sheets, he's the guy there. And I said, you know what, I want to take what I've learned from 
working with GoDaddy and Dell and everything else, and I want to do it hyper local at a at a cost effective you know contract to see w- whether we can move the needle. And it was about three months in that he said, you know what, <laughs> your contract is already paid for itself. You know, three years. You know, for three years with us. And and so that's that's what I get excited about is I get excited with people that not everybody's going to be a rock star or a Gary V or something like that. But everybody can either learn, right. you know, from social media or learn online um, or, or they can, you know, provide information and service to other people. And that's, you know, the podcast. I don't, you know, I don't have a sponsor on this podcast. I don't have anything. But the when Jeffrey is telling people and we're sharing his book as well, you know, how do you take your IT organization and really structure it in a way that, you know, the people internally and externally see this value in it, invest in it, and then transform their business. Well, guess what happens to Indianapolis? It takes off. And so why wouldn't I invest that time to share that with people? And that's, you know, long story short, that's what I truly believe in is happening. Yeah, well, and you know? I think your I think your career is kind of similar to Jeff's, because I remember following him with some of his early blogs. Why don't right. you tell us a little bit about your blog and the title? So I, I started a blog, gosh, uh, two thousand six or seven, maybe called Rivers of Thought. Uh, it was originally um, I was I was done with IT. Uh, I was fed up. Was ready to try something else, and I was going to do green business consulting because I'm oh, cool. a tree, I'm a tree hugger. Yeah, and it was how to how to uh, impact businesses from a green perspective not because it's the right thing to do but because it can make you money exactly right that was yeah. that was my stick uh so i started writing blogs about about that um uh that particular business in fact that was when you and i met is when i was launching that business uh that particular business didn't uh didn't quite work i like to think i was ahead of my time uh well, but but you you were right oh uh, yeah it was probably 2007 2008 right and yeah and uh uh, it just hadn't caught on yeah. yet. Uh, and now there's companies that are doing what uh, Confluence Dynamics still think it's the coolest name for a company ever because it had to do with fluid, fluid dynamics nice. at the confluence of a river. Anyway, uh, so the, the blog over time morphed truly into rivers of thought. So I, I write on there anywhere from... Uh, uh, about love, life, music, yeah. uh, whatever strikes my fancy. I, I, I wrote a series of blogs uh, a couple of years ago uh, called The Roosevelt River, and it was about my executive coach and I, uh, Dr. Dan Miller. Uh, Dan does executive coaching based on history. Uh, so he identifies a character from history, and you study that character and apply those lessons to your own life in, in today. So he picked for me, my first one was Theodore Roosevelt. So we spent a year studying Theodore Roosevelt. And so I ended up writing a series of blogs uh, about some of the lessons that I learned along that. Totally uh, had nothing to do with IT, had nothing to do with with much of anything other than my own personal learnings yeah. uh, through that. Uh, and it's still, um, I, I wrote one of, one of the things was about the character Frank Reagan in Blue Bloods because he's based on Theodore Roosevelt. Ah. It's still my number one blog to this day. I mean, I wrote it three years ago, and I get hits all over the place from people searching Frank Reagan, Theodore Roosevelt, and my blog comes up. That's mm. What a great way to promote some of the things I'm doing because then people read more. Yeah. 
That's great. Yeah. And it didn't cost you anything to advertise, right? Cost nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, to, to close it out, I definitely want to get to the book. Um, obviously, the entire discussion, you know, is circling around it. Uh, but but uh, I want to I read just a little bit. So you've got a great testimonial here from Isaac Sakolik. 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 Uh-huh. All right. And he says, Jeff tells a compelling story of being a CIO in the trenches, taking charge when opportunities present themselves, shoring up operations when required, and evolving strategies that drive business results. IT leaders will relate to his challenges and learn best practices from an experienced leader. And I, I, I love this because often uh, I feel like the IT, IT groups – and now I might make you mad. I always feel like they there's two different camps of IT people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's IT leaders that uh, that absolutely enable, you know, right. their organizations to grow. And then I feel like sometimes there's IT organizations that disable, right? right? Because disable is safe, secure, you know, all of those pieces. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what compelled you to write the book and then how how are people able to utilize this information to enable you know the organizations to grow absolutely but but before i do that i'm going to put a plug in for isaac he wrote a great book called driving digital Uh, and we were talking earlier about social media i actually met isaac through social media we'd never met face to face for two years became friends talked on the phone Um, And when his book came out, I actually met him in New York City and we became even closer friends. That's awesome. Because we share that, but it started through Twitter and social media. Uh, but but to your to your question, um, I really wrote the book. What, what really got me started thinking about this was back to the NDCIO network. We were at one of our lunches, uh, and I I raised the question about uh, how much time do you spend uh, doing strategy uh, to this group, right? Um, and I was expecting to hear um, a lot of answers that were somewhat around, well, my business doesn't let me get involved with that or, you know, those kinds of things that, that they were being limited. And what I really heard was we don't know how. Mm. And so drawing on uh, my experience as CIO for Loth Property Group uh, and then CIO for Goodwill here in central Indiana, really pulled together the the book pulls together stories uh, from those uh, from those uh, eight or nine years about how to build a vision and then how to how do you communicate that vision how do you paint the picture uh, for your audience whether your audience is your own IT team or whether it's the it, one of the stories I tell in the book is about presenting it to the executive staff of Loth Property Group and trying to convince them to spend several million dollars on IT. Um, and you have to paint a picture. And so it talks about not only painting the picture, but then identifying strategies that when executed will get you closer to that vision. Um, and then the book, the second half of the book is about how to execute on that vision and execute on those strategies. Which is which is all the difference. Uh, It's just critical, right? That you, you not only have to have the vision, but you've got to be able to execute on that vision. And, uh, some of the things worked and some of the things didn't. And we talk a lot about both in the book. That's fantastic. I I heard, uh, I heard someone speaking about, um, motivating their, their, uh, company that was, they're basically, their company was risk averse, you know, 
nobody wanted to change anything and everything else. And so they, they had a consultant come in, you know, to kind of help unleash, you know, creativity. And, and the consultant came in and basically presented the board and said, you know, that there was a competitor that was up and coming in their industry that was going to wipe them out. And here's how they were going to do it. You know, they were going to do it A, B, C, D, and E. So how was the board going to react? And they, and they said that everybody inside the board that was totally risk averse changed their mindset. And, and so I always tell people like it's leadership, right? Right. right. It's not, people aren't stuck in a rut because they want to be, or we want to, we want to be resistant to change. It's that change is scary. Change, Mm -hmm. you know, has risk. But when we perceive that the risk is greater by not changing, right we all of a sudden become creative people that can come together and put together a strategic vision, you know, that can outpace everybody. And it was a fascinating, you know, kind of study because I was, I always thought people with, you know, personalities didn't change, you know, that, that you were kind of, maybe you would have to clean out the board and get new people, but it's not true. It's leadership can really take those people and unleash, you know, their, their skill sets, you know, to, to take up, to take off. And, and we were talking earlier to, to that point. We were talking about digital disruption, and and as uh, as as a CIO, I spent a lot of time thinking about where's the disruption coming from. Where's the competitor that yeah. the consultant you referenced? Uh, where's that going to come from? What's going to attack what we're trying to do? Because if I'm thinking about that, it's like getting back to the conversation about security. If you put yourself in the mind of a hacker, how are they going to attack? then you can come up with the vision or the strategies to either compete against the competitor or compete against the hacker because you're trying to think of those types of things. And you gotta, you gotta slice out part of your day to think about those kinds of things. Absolutely. Well, uh, Jeff, this has been a fascinating conversation. So, um, where, where should people look you up online? Uh, so riversofthought.net is my blog. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, the book is available on amazon.com. We'll put a link to that, uh, which is, uh, yep. which is fantastic. Uh, and then, uh, my, my email, uh, is jeff.tun at tunenterprisesllc.com. I was trying to think of the longest domain name I could come up with. <laughs> you did uh, it. <laughs> Success. Uh, so hopefully you can put that link on there as well, Doug, yeah. but would love to hear from anybody that has any questions. Fantastic. Well, thanks. And thanks for joining us, Frank. And thanks for joining us, Frank. No, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've actually got Irish heritage, so I want to put a plug in this weekend for the Indie Irish Festival. So uh, if you haven't got tickets yet, check it out at IndieIrishFest.com. Great networking opportunity, and and that's where Jeff's been very helpful to me. He's introduced me to several CIOs throughout the state of Indiana. And if you don't know Jeff Tan yet, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of his book or reach out to him and read his blog. It's all about networking. It, it, It makes us all better, right? Absolutely, yeah. All right, thanks, guys. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis.